Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast in which we discuss with guests their lives in cricket and around women and girls cricket in particular, but in general too. And tonight I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Rotherham. Now Mike is somebody actually who I know, uh, but I needed to just double check in terms of how he wanted me to introduce him. So uh, for this evening's podcast, let me introduce Mike by saying he's a performance psychologist He's worked with the Institute of Sport and the ECB and Mindflick, all of which I'm sure he'll mention in his chat with us this evening. And he's also captain of Rain Hill Cricket Club that is just somewhere on just outside of Merseyside for those people who know the Northwest. So, uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us and welcome. Thanks, Tom. Nice to uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. So our first question we ask all of our guests, and as you know, Mike, having spoken to you offline, it's the only pre-scripted question, um, is just for the benefit of the listeners, just give us an, an insight into that first memory, that first recollection you have of cricket, whether it be watching, playing, listening, or what have you. Um, first probably memory was watching my dad um played cricket um when he was at Wavertree Club. Um and I just remember when well, my dad was a bit of a basher um when he went out on the bat. Um I just remember him um, clearing the houses at um I don't know if you've played there before. Yeah have you down, down the bottom end with the wall and um I just remember the balls bouncing off the <laughs> off the houses and he, <laughs> it didn't last long. He was he was out he was out not too long after. Um that, I guess that was my first proper memory of um, probably watching the game and then got interested just fell in love with the game really um, in particular um, the, the, you know the great West Indies side with the Richards um, and that and that particular era um, used to read read loads of stuff and that's, that's a, that it was actually um, reading some Viv Richards um, books actually got me into or got me first interested in psychology. Um, I remember reading some of his stuff around like the, 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 his, his mental approach to batting and just thinking that I, I, I like this. <laughs> I want to. I want to know more. And I, I guess that was a bit that kind of on two fronts really: cricket and understanding yeah, psychology. That was the first bit that kind of really grabbed my attention. And um, do you remember? Anything, because, I mean, for, for those people who, um, well, hopefully anyone listening will know who Viv Richards is, but for the younger generation, he was sort of the um, the charismatic, effervescent, um, casual, but very effective West Indian great batsman who just used to make a mockery of anybody that used to come up and try to bowl to him. But he made it look very, very easy, Mike, didn't he? So I've not read any of his stuff. So do you remember or recall or uh, can you share anything that you know you you got from that first reading of insights into his mental approach to batting it was just everything from um uh, the, the the demeanor of walking like walking out to bat he always saw with it didn't he the the, the, the swagger mm. as he walked out to the middle middle of the pit chewing his gum and with the cap on um almost like an, he didn't have like a care, care in the world and you know these are almost like these are in my arena and you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to come and uh, entertain everybody. To 
just his approach against different you know um, bowls. I remember reading one particular um, extract that talked about um, his approach to spin, and it was like you know there's all these different theories around how you play spin, play with the spin, play against the spin. He says ultimately he gets to pitch the ball. It doesn't matter which way it's spinning; it's going <laughs> it's going out the ground. <laughs> and it's like little, little bits like that, you know, just in terms of everything was almost. Um, like a front foot approach to um, to playing the game really, and 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 and, and I say that that really kind of um, I could really relate re- relate to that. I mean, it's clearly not um, had a massive impact on the way I play the game because I play spin blimmin awfully. But yeah, the, that was um, yeah that was particularly particularly fond memories, and, and just the, the the whole thing where you know he, he's playing out in Australia. He's got um, Dennis Lilly trying to knock his head off, and he's got a cap on, and he's <laughs> just staring them down, and you know, chewing his gum, and and whacking sixes into the into the crowd, into the crowd, and just um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant to watch. I think he was one of my earliest um, sort of heroes watching as well, and um, the word that listening to you springs to mind, you know, especially when you talked about stage and arena. Was he was a you know a really genuine performer, wasn't it? He loved the big stage, uh, and no matter how big the stage was, he still kept the same swagger. He still kept the same um, yeah. body language. He still uh, chewed his gum in the same way. He still moved his cap slightly to one side when he was getting himself ready to take guard. Um, so yeah, he, he was he was an absolutely amazing. I, I had the privilege actually of um, of meeting him uh, once when he. Um, he went up to Durham uh, for a festival game, and uh, he was giving out signed photographs. So, um, so I've got one of those somewhere safely locked away. Uh, I, I, I got to meet him myself. Um, so when we had the women's twenty twenty final in, or that would have been 2019, 2018, 2019 out in Barbados, um, out there. Um, yeah. He, he, he was there delivering the, the medals to the Australians at the time. Um, but yeah, just such a... And, and again, I remember just thinking, you're such a cool guy. Yeah, absolutely. He still is. Uh, he is, he is, he is. So, so, so he was one of your biggest um, first influences, both from a cricketing point of view and psychological perspective. So you said you got yeah. you kind of got fell in love and got hooked on the game. So at what age, what age did you start playing? So I started when I was thirteen. Right. And, um, so I, well, I played. We used to have. Um, I don't know if anyone knows Rain Elbertson, but some Bart's uh, some Bart's school that was on the back of our um, our, our house and the school playing field. And we, we used to obviously watching the England England against the the West Indies playing in in the test test match series and. Then we'd go go out onto the onto the back of the field. We'd cut a strip with my dad's kind of um, lawnmower, which was a non-petrol one. Used to have one of those push ones in the days. Yeah. He'd cut cut a strip into the in, into the outfield, and then uh, we'd be off, and we, we'd be playing our own kind of te- test match between you know me and uh, like us, uh, Steve Mills and Alan Cregan, one of my, one of my best mates, and we we just. Basically, that was, that was it. We had cut court balls. We got my dad's old cricket bat, which was miles too big for me. <laughs> um, and then we, we, we'd be off, and that that was it. That, and that, that was, I guess, sort of first playing. But then I was to joined Rain Hill when I was 13, or 12, 12, 13. 
Um, the first ever match I played. Um, two, two, two things. Well, uh, first of all, first, first match I played, my first ever ball I hit, I actually hit a six. <laughs> um, basically, a hook, hook shot onto the, um, on, onto the, bounced off the clubhouse, believe it or not. Remarkable. Um, Following in your dad's footsteps. Yeah, following in my dad's but I don't play like that anymore. I'm a boring, <laughs> boring plodder now. Um, but um, and then the the second game I played, I think we were playing at Ormskirk, and um, a lad called I think it was Joe Taylor, uh, left arm bowler, um, bowled me a bounce, and I went for the same shot again. Basically, smacked me right in the um, right in the nose and uh, like bleep like blood everywhere. Um, and uh, yeah, I had, to, I had to come off the pitch, but it didn't didn't put me off. Um, so it just got got straight back out there again at like the, the next game, um, which was yeah. Well, two <laughs> two very different uh, outcomes to the same delivery, yeah. but glad to, glad yeah. that it didn't put you off. Yeah, indeed. So. So that was a thirteen-year-old, and um, you know how did things progress for you um, from junior cricket to to senior cricket, and then you know beyond. Um, I think just I mean I, I, we had a group of lads who were all like super super keen. We had we had a brilliant coach, um, a chap called Ray Ford, who was um, used to be involved with Grappenall Cricket Club, and then came across to Rainhill Cricket Club, and like Ray. I mean, I'm sure everyone everyone can kind of relate to this. It, it, it's just his enthusiasm and passion for the game, and he, he, he just rubbed off on you. And like starting from that place as well myself, along with Ray, and being around a group of, um, you know, some of my fellow mates who are you know equally as passionate about the game. We all kind of just took our took each other along the journey. Um, and one of my one of my friends who um, Ray's lad. Paul, he, 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 he still plays and we're still just as passionate about the game now at like 40, 42, you know, um, obviously the body's not what it, can't do what it used to, but um, yeah, Ray, Ray had a massive, massive impact. And did he take you guys as a group through the different ages um, or did he start, did yeah. you start with him and then move on with someone else? Yeah, we didn't have a junior. Like we were the first junior section um, or junior team to play uh, to play at the club, um, which Ray, Ray kind of obviously when he moved across from Grappenall to Rainhill, um, and and that was really the start. Really, so he, he kind of took us all the way through, um, and he was cap- captain of the first team at the time, and then eventually stepped down into second team, where he, again he, he took a number of us under his wing just taught us it taught us how to his enthusiasm about the game and, and bringing that bringing that to the game. and that, that's always stood the test of time in terms of how I coach now and how I kind of talk about the game um, just it, it all probably stems from those early early mem- memories really yeah 100% I think um that that in that passion and enthusiasm that can be conveyed from um, you know one generation to the next, I think, is hugely hugely influential in how um, first impressions are formed, but also how long uh, people want to stay in the game. Uh, so, having the likes of a Ray Ford obviously helped you and your friends, um, you know, stay in the game as as long as you have done, which is fantastic. Yeah. 
So, so what, when did the? I mean, I know you said that you um, you were reading at an early age about um, Saviv, but when when did you start to show an interest academically in um, performance psychology, and and how did that start to take shape? Um, so, I, I, again, it, it was sort. Of, remember at the time, um, just some. I guess some partly making sense of some personal experiences that I'd had in the game. Uh, and partly, again, just watching watching and reading. Um, probably then moved on to, like, Mike Atherton and, you know, the, the, the whole kind of mental toughness that he'd, he'd, he'd obviously demonstrated both as a player and as a, and a, and as a, and as a captain. Um, I think just in terms of how, he, how he'd kind of played. And that, that was, that kind of really another vicarious experience really of um sort of seeing seeing psychology in in, in action really mm. um and through, through some of the readings um but my own personal experience so i i um when i, when I played the game i had, exp- had an experience which obviously i'd later later come to re- sort of remember or, or or study which was was basically like a yips-based experience which was um, I remember bowling um, Sefton Park Cricket Club as a junior and just bowling over that lasted 15, 15 balls and I just remember not being able to let go of the ball thinking, God, how am I going to get out of this? <laughs> um, didn't really didn't really understand it at the time. Um, but I had like sort of two or three probably similar experiences post that and then that combined with... Um, you know, reading reading some articles again. Some my other obviously fellow love was was obviously with um, Liverpool Football Club and just hearing some stories about I think it was like Stan Collymore at the time with some of the some of the battles that he was going through in his in his career and his life, kind of just drew me towards um, psychology. I remember my dad taking me to Sheffield Hallam. Well, took took me around obviously all the universities, but I remember taking me to Sheffield Hallam University in in, in particular. Um, and just sitting there thinking, yeah, this is this is the career I want to do. And and, and from that, I, once I've kind of set my mind on it, like generally I'm that type of person. Like once I've set my mind on something to make it happen, and, and I, I make I'll, I'll make it happen. So yeah, that that was sort of how I ended up at Sheffield Hallam, really. Um, and the rest they can say is probably history in, in that sense. Yeah, but you're being very modest because um, you're a doctor as well, you know, doctor of um, of performance psychology, aren't you? So it's not Mr. Michael Rotherham. Yeah. It's, so so um, how many years did that take to um, to accomplish that? You said you were very determined once you'd made a decision that that's what you wanted to do. So um, that was, well, that, and that was the talk. I remember sitting there in Hallam um, in, the, in the, the auditorium there and um, obviously the, Based the group, you know, if you, I, I remember asking the question, what do you need to be to be a sports psychologist? And uh, a guy called Pete Wilder, um, Pete Wilder, um, but, um, basically just said, well, you know, th- this is the route you need to do a, um, a degree, you need to do a master's, you probably need to do a PhD, and alongside doing you know, your supervision, I was like, right, <laughs> let's make it happen. And, and uh, the PhD um, was obviously. I came across then um, a chap at the university called Mark Borden, um, who uh, kind of took me under his wing a little bit. Uh, there was well, there was Mark and a guy called Ian Renshaw, who's now based out in in, in Australia. Um, so Ian, Ian Ian 
is a kind of skill acquisition skill acquisition expert. He's done a lot of stuff with the with the ECB as well. Um, and 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 Mark and 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 basically those two kind of took me under the wing. Uh, Ian certainly through the first part of my masters and things like that in terms of the research I was doing, um, looking at. Um, perceptual cues and spin bowling and the kind of things that the expert batters expert batters look for in um, particular um, facing like wrist spin bowling and then mark more from like the applied side really um, and, and and I guess the further research because mark had also had a shared experience of having having yips but he'd, he'd had it a lot worse than worse than I'd had um, he, he'd kind of um, suffered like really bad at the Bunbury festival. Um, and I literally just couldn't bowl anymore. Whereas I kind of, I'd kind of come back from it. So I was kind of intrigued to kind of understand that. So that started a journey into looking at the yips um, and how that played out, really. And yeah, and so, so and w- so when when for those people who haven't um, studied that, um, either studied psychology or done a degree or beyond that, masters and PhD. So you get published, right? You you get your articles published. Yeah. So so yeah, that's right. so so what what um you know, if we wanted to look up your dissertation or your um you know your initial research what, what would it what would it be called where would we find it? Um well I think Ian Ian did all all, all the uh, the initial masters type um research um so yeah it'll be it'll be out there in the <laughs> it'll be out there somewhere um i'd have to i'd have to find it for you google, google scholar um, yeah probably be it'll probably just I, I imagine just search my name and it'll probably those things will come those things will come up um yeah fa- fascinating times and obviously still i'm still passionately interested in it so i've just um started supervising um, a couple of PhDs um, with, with a guy called Phil Clark at the University of Derby um, with um, a couple of people who are kind of keen to take the work on so yeah the, that, that side will always always be there really and from a, a cricket point of view um, Institute of Sport I mentioned in my introduction so um, was it I mean how did that come to pass that um, you got involved you know, with your passion for cricket, with your interest around psychology and the sport of cricket that you fell in love with at such a young age? So the EIS, um, or so the Institute of Sport, English Institute of Sport, that, that was, so I'd come off the back of the, the PhD in 2007. And then this was, again, kind of lottery funding and all that kind of stuff at, kind of was coming on board then and, and the, I guess the profession of psychology was starting to be taken more seriously um, so I um, I got kind of housed with um, the sport of handball um, at the time so um, they, they were looking for some psych input so I, I ended up having to basically spend a day a week out in, in, in Aarhus in Denmark uh, with our British, our British teams out, out, out there which again, uh, fascinating, fascinating times. Um, it didn't, it didn't last particularly long because essentially they, their funding uh, got cut pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, at which point in time, then I, I, I joined up with short track speed skating, 
um, spent the best part of God eight eight years with them. Um, but all, I say all, all the way through that, I've obviously had all, all, all sorts of different bits of work with with Derbyshire County Cricket Club. Um, that was like sort of from two thousand and two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, I was with Derbyshire for the best part of. 10 or 10, 10, 10, 11 years um, and obviously the ECB work came online in 2000 and, um, 2013 and obviously I worked across the England Lions and uh, England Lions the, um, the main um, men's team and then with England women obviously more recently so yeah it's, um, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey well, you, you you said that um, it, you know it was kind of um, everything kind of fell into place, but I'm, I know in life that doesn't happen. So, you must have done a, a pretty decent job in those early uh, years in other sports at handball and speed skating to alongside your stuff at Derbyshire. Um, but just just for you know because because you know this this podcast does have have a um, a focus around the women and girls game. I, I know that you were involved. Uh, with the the women's team that uh, that won the the World Cup in twenty seventeen, wasn't it? Um, and uh, I remember um, telling my two boys at the time that look, there's Mike. Oh, look, he's he's frozen like a statue, sat sat on the balcony, looking as though he didn't want to move a muscle as the um, the end of the game uh, came to a its sort of crescendo, and it was all incredibly nerve wracking. So. I'm sure listeners um, who who now understand that context would love to hear what it felt like um, from your perspective, um, sitting on the balcony, watching the, the last few overs unfold. It, it, surprisingly, it was actually quite calm. <laughs> so um, so the, there was myself, Ali Maiden um, and Mark Robinson, we were, we were all sat up there um, Ian Salisbury was down. Ian Salisbury was down on the, uh, the the bench with the girls. Um, I just met. Yeah, it was, it was just really, really calm. And like even like the point where it looked like the game, the game was getting. It, 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 it kind of like they were they were within kind of touching distance of kind of getting over the line. Like the, I guess the bit that kind of always or kept us kind of in it was the the run rate because the the run rate never really got out of out of control it was always around like 4.8 getting up to like 5.3 and we and we kind of knew um we kind of knew that you know that if we um if we just got got a wicket or a couple of wickets with you know the, that 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 inevitably would push the run rates up again um you know we, we 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 could be in so there was always a sense of calmness really um and, and Robbo was Robbo was super super calm, super philosophical, and and, and yeah, it, 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 there was a couple of little bits like you like you, like you have or you know, maybe we'll change seats or <laughs> you know a couple of a couple of little bits like that that happen in the in, in the in the game because that that's just part and parcel of the things that you got the cricket superstitions and things like that. We you know we, we were we were obviously um, we were obviously um, the ones that you know got the wickets moving because uh, someone moved seats <laughs> so. yeah i think it's it, it i remember speaking to mark um on one of our earlier podcasts and 
he used the words um pretty much the same i think in terms of calmness and i think it's you mustn't you mustn't be you know you, you mustn't be human if you're not feeling uh differently underneath but the uh the impression that um you wanted to give i'm sure was to kind of stay calm because uh, that gives off the the right kind of vibe to those around you and but there are superstitions aren't there in cricket of whatever level um and it, you know it maybe it did work in uh, in england's favor that somebody moved and and wicket started to tumble but uh, i do i do remember very clearly um saying to our two look there's mike on the balcony at lords uh, let's just uh, you know hope it all goes well type of thing and um, you know fortunately in the end it did because i think i think five live sports still got that um, recording as part of their intro, don't they? With Shrubsole taking the wickets, it, and you know the, that's one of my favourite days in sport. Not because we won, um, but because of like the bit after the game, or after the game had finished, and it, it was just a very, very, very different type of crowd at Lords that day. It was more, it's more like an audience, um, you know. And you, you obviously got like all your the families that are families are normally you know you, you go to Lords and you got the beer train that's kind of going around the you know the crowd and everyone's kind of falling off the seat drunk and it was just a very very different feel and and you know, just seeing like all the kids that were there that were like super super like been inspired by the girls was was just brilliant really um it's like I say one of my favorite days in in, in sport and, and and say ultimately that then inspired inspired us to Get women's and girls cricket started at our our cricket club, which we've which we've been able to do off the off the back of that, which has been brilliant. Really, my own daughter now plays, and um, my niece plays, and my wife plays. Like the whole, pretty much the whole family plays cricket now. So, and well, I, I hadn't realised that. I think that's that's a brilliant uh, personal insight to know that uh, the yeah the impact of that match and that experience um, inspired you, prompted you motivated you to start uh, women and girls cricket at rain hill so so what what's the the latest just tell us a little bit about how that's going in terms of the um you know how many kids you've got involved outside of your own family of course um and you know do you, do you play do, do the do the women actually play softball or hardball what's the situation yeah a mix so we've got two we've got two women's teams um like a hardball and a softball team um, and then we've got an under twelves girls team and an under tens girls team um, as well. So the, the the women's team is a kind of mix. It was kind of um, we started off with an under fifteens team. Um, that was the very very first team that we started off with, and then that they kind of quickly were joined by some older ladies, um, and then you know so very very quickly we we developed like a really big core group there. So that that sort of essentially become a hardball and a softball team and then we've tried now to grow the base of the pyramid as well um, so we're trying to take obviously bottom up we'll, as well as top down yeah exactly get a, a team below each time so the 12s will become the 13s the 10s will become the 11s and then we'll have another one that kind of comes in at the bottom of the pyramid as well so but with all <laughs> it's hard work very hard work because you always need more volunteers you always need more pitch time I'm sure all the volunteers will um, will, will will vouch for. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um, you know, I didn't have the same experience of you. Obviously, is sat on the balcony at Lords and that that post match um, reflection. But uh, 
uh, I um I think probably the inspiration for me was um mother and daughter uh Joe and um and Emily Page at at, at our club at Warrington who um just had such an enthusiasm for it from a um from the very first time I I met them and yet there was no provision for girls whatsoever as a section um and no women's team so even despite COVID, we're now in a position where we're hoping this year to start an under nines girls team for the first time. And we've got a women's softball team. Uh, but I, I would imagine where you're based, Rainhill Women's, do they not? Do they play um, Sefton Park? Um, we, we, we do play uh, some games at Sefton Park. Um, like generally, the, the softball games, when we play the tournaments, they're, they're played at Northern. Um but we would say we'll play a number of number of the teams that are sort of in the local the local area. Yeah, well, um, they're they're one of a yeah they came on as a um as a group um to to do a podcast um about six months ago and um they they're, they're, they're a really fantastic bunch yeah they do yeah. a great uh social media coverage on TikTok and all sorts of things and and make it look so so fun which I think is one of the most important characteristics of it. Um, so well done with uh, with setting all that up at uh, at Rain Hill. So tell us a little bit about Mindflick, um, Mike, and 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 what that's all about and how how that's going. Well, I haven't, I haven't actually started officially um, started yet. I do, obviously I do bit, bits of consultancy with um, with Mindflick. So then we move in move into them four days a week. Uh, it's not a day a week day a week for myself. Um, four days a week essentially um delivering performance psychology into other domains um and the, the idea really is that is is that you know we, we've we've worked a lot in sport with um you know, the best of the best really and and the idea the, the fundamental idea with mindflick is you know you, why, why not translate that knowledge and give that out to the masses um essentially and and you know make one percent difference with you know one of the best players in the world why can't we you know distill that knowledge and, and take it out to, to, to the masses really and, and and give everybody the benefits of some of the some of the lessons that we've learned really so obviously um, Andrew Strauss is Andrew Strauss is our, our, our chairman obviously back involved with with Mark Borden who's the, uh, the CEO We've got Pete Lindsay uh, who was um, a site at Man City uh, Tim, who um, Tim Tim, who's Tim Pitt, who's um, I was involved with with the institute, who did a brilliant PhD around um, nudge, which is like basically like minimalist interventions. Um, so yeah, it, and, and and plenty of other brilliant brilliant people. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting getting stuck in there. And you're you're doing stuff with ECB as well. Still, you I know that you. Um... Yeah. You come in and support level three as well as other courses, um, but you're looking to. Um, I know you've got an idea to try to introduce uh, or offer a little bit more of a kind of an insight into the psychological aspects of the game yourself. So, is there anything there you wanted to share? Yeah, so um, obviously still still involved with with doing doing little bits and pieces for the ECB, and still do a little bit of support for the women the women's game um, as well. But I guess just inspired really by some of the the work with doing the coach education um, on um, the level three um, in particular, um, and just trying to help 
coaches to be better at, I guess, train players psychologically as much as anything else. Because a lot of our time um, working with Sykes is actually working through the coaches anyway. Um, so, yeah, and my idea really is to try and distill, I guess, some of the lessons I've learned over the last 20 years of working, um, working in the field and try and put something together really for coaches that they can then access and um, yeah put into their own kind of coaching practice really so that is in the process of being designed and then hopefully at some point we'll be able to announce something on that yeah I'll watch this space everybody because I think that is um, a hugely important um, addition or will be a hugely important addition to to any coach's journey um, and I'm sure you, you could apply it and adapt it into different sports but you're starting with cricket I believe and whether you're a club coach um, whether you're a private independent coach or whether you're in a elite environment I think um, the the type of stuff that you shared with me offline I think will add a significant amount of value so um, look forward to hearing more from from you on that when, as and when it's ready um, what about mentoring? What's your what's your view on mentoring uh, players and coaches in the game, Mike? Um, I think it's it's really really important, isn't it? So it's it's like anything, uh, um, and particularly it's interesting. You go into the business world, and obviously, you know, the executives of organisations that you know, they they'll, they'll seek out sort of coaches or mentors to help help them with the demands and the challenges that they're, they're experiencing, but very, very little is probably done within, um, certainly within the amateur game, um, little bits within the, within the programme, but certainly more could be done in terms of offering more supervision and mentoring. I know some sports do it really, really well. Um, you know, like from my time working with England Netball, they, 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 they've got a really good structure in place. Um, but I think it's so important because you, you you do your coaching courses and your badges, and then you, you kind of you come out into the into the into the real world, and then well, what happens at that point? Do you just stop learning? Is that is that it, or do, or do you you know you, you need someone to challenge your thinking who who can help grow you even further? So you can do that with all sorts of different ways in terms of you know whether it's like listening to podcasts like this or or you know, your own kind of reading. But I think that critical friend is. Is, is 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 vital really so yeah i think that i think that is then that, that is important yeah, I think I well, I I thought you might say something along those lines, and I and I know that you've um, provided mentoring uh, for for people within the game as well as beyond um, the the game of cricket. Uh, I think it's I think it is really important. I think you make a really good point about what happens in the business world. Well, you know, there are lessons from business that could be taken into sport, not just at the elite level, but at grassroots amateur level, um, and you know, helping people along the way being that critical friend um with a with a little c uh, i think is you know it would add a lot of value as well to uh, to youngsters as well as adults um so maybe maybe in an, another area to to explore for a, for a different day um so if if people wanted to to find out a little bit more about you and what you're doing and what you're up to what's the best way of uh, following you mike or finding you online and website i'm quite I, I, you know you know me tom i'm uh... I hate stuff like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not really, um, I'm, I'm not really kind of one of those people who's like out there, if that makes sense. So, and, and, and 
yeah, I, I find all that stuff incredibly uncomfortable. But I have got a Twitter. I have a, I've got a Twitter page. Yeah. If you want to kind of get in touch with us on on things like that, it's just uh, at Mike Rotherham. Okay. Um, on on that. So. So yeah, tw- not, Twitter's not, the main uh, Twitter's the main social media platform for you, yeah. 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 Um, you know me. You know. No, no, I do. I, I do, but I wasn't. I wasn't wanting to make you feel uncomfortable. I just wanted to know if you got. Uh, if you got. A, you know, wanted to sh- share your website or anything like that. Um, and I, I do remember meeting Alex Hartley. This is just a bit of an aside comment, but I remember meeting Alex Hartley with you at a Rainhill Junior cricket uh, presentation, where at the time I think she was going out with uh, Alex Davies. Um, and um, her, well, both their careers have kind of gone on to um, a yeah, different level since then. Uh, I know Alex has uh, been in the news uh, probably for things he doesn't want to uh, be in the news for recently. But um, but yeah, she, Alex Hartley and uh, and Kate Cross have done an amazing job in terms of enhancing their careers um, with their podcast and media uh, responsibilities. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was through you and Rain Hill that um, that I remember meeting um, both Alex Davies and, and Alex Hartley. Um, yeah. So um, I think just thinking, listening back to uh, to when you first started. So, um, you know, I had the, I've got the benefit obviously of, seeing Mike's um, face light up when he was remembering watching his dad hit balls for fun over the houses and um, and then obviously doing it himself on the first ball of the first game he played as a 13-year-old. But clearly he's, Mike's had an interest in reading and observing and watching and listening uh, from, a, from a young age, which perhaps then um, you know people listening can make a connection to finding his vocation around psychology within the game. Um, I'm sure anybody who has experienced the yips would want to kind of um you know look up and read up on stuff that uh that you did along with with Mark um and then um yeah good luck with everything that you're involved with at the moment at Rain Hill on the women and girls side um keep encouraging uh, your your wife and and daughter and niece um and good luck with everything that you're going to be doing uh regarding introducing psychology into into cricket uh, and everything else that you do. Mike, thank you ever so much for your time. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.